Well, thank you. What a morning, huh? This is great. We have something to rejoice over as well. Austin and Aaron gave birth, well, Aaron did, uh, <laughs> to little Jacqueline. And so we just rejoice in that. And grandparents, congratulations to you as well. Isn't that great? Yes. There you are. Look at that. Isn't that wonderful? That's beautiful. All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you and we thank you for who you are. You're such an awesome God. That we can call you Father, that we can come to you and that you would bring us into your presence. Who are we <laughs> before you? to hear these testimonies, to sing these praises, to listen to the scriptures being read. Lord, indeed, you alone are worthy, and we thank you. Fathers, we come to the text today. Allow your word, as you've promised, to speak mightily into our hearts. Pray that these words will not only encourage our hearts, but exhort us to live as grateful people before you. Lord, we thank you. And we thank you first and foremost for the greatest gift possible, and that was your son that allowed us to have a re-restored relationship with you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, if you would, turn to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. It's a short one. That's good. <laughs> During my third year at Aberdeen in Scotland, I vowed that I would no longer live in the dormitories. That was, I had done my duty. And so I found the quintessential apartment. It was part of a, it was a room in this Scottish manner. I mean, it was, I mean, tartan carpet, a fireplace. I mean, it was, I, I thought for sure I was going to change my name to Matt Coffee. It, it was wonderful. The very first night as I was exhausted from unpacking some of the, well, I had two suitcases, but <laughs> putting my stuff away, I thought I saw something scurry across the floor. And you need to know something about me. There are few things I despise more than mice or rats. And indeed, it was one of those awful rodents. It wasn't just one, it was two. And so I laid awake all night for sure that they were going to carry me away. And after having bravely survived the evening, I went to the kitchen, which was a common area, but I had a cupboard designated for my coffee. Went for the cereal, and <laughs> another mouse was partaking of my breakfast. Yes, that was it. I packed my bags. I demanded my deposit back, and I was now homeless. I took all my belongings to a lady, an elderly woman, a precious saint from the church that I was attending and stopped by Audrey Stricken's home. And I said, Audrey, it's been awful. I just had a reenactment of that movie, Ben. There was mice everywhere. It was awful. And she said, you know, we need to thank the Lord for the mice. I said, these Scottish women are nuts. But anyway, I said, okay. And, and she said, you know, as we prayed, she said, you know, I really feel, if you would like to rent the front room for me in my house, you may do that. And I said, are you serious? And that became one of the greatest blessings of life. She was right. 
I needed to be thankful for the mice. <laughs> Jeffrey Wainwright, in his book, Doxology, wrote these words, The world is not an easy place in which to live doxologically. <laughs> He's right. No, it's not mice, though that will scare a few of us. The world is full of pain. It's full of hurt. It's full of isolation and suffering. In fact, recent stats are showing in, I think it was Japan yesterday I was reading, there are more suicides last month than there was those who died from COVID. To suggest that we should be thankful is either a sign of a mental instability or a lack of sensitivity in the world that we live. And yet, look what the psalmist states in Psalm 100. He says, shout out praise to the Lord. That's a war cry seen in Joshua 6. Or, or it's, it's a victory song sung in Zephaniah. Shout out praise to the Lord, all the earth. No one's exempt. Worship the Lord with joy. Enter His presence with joyful singing. Realize that the Lord is God. He made us and we belong to Him. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give Him thanks. Praise His name for the Lord is good. His loyal love endures and He is faithful through all generations. Psalm 100 is an orphan psalm. We don't know the author. It's one of the few in the Psalter. The author is never stated. There's also something else unique with this psalm, and that is it has a title, and the title includes the word todah in Hebrew, which means thank you. If you're in Israel today and someone hands you a cup of coffee, make sure you say todah. This is the only psalm with the, the phrase thanksgiving ascribed to the title. Some scholars believe that Psalm 100 is actually the climax of a whole section of psalms starting and back into 93. Some argue all the way back to 90. And it, it's called this series of gratitude to God that's laid out. The psalm, and I, this is in your notes, which is on page, it's on the last page of this bulletin, if you're following along. This psalm was not intended for those who do not know God. In fact, some would argue it's not even to be sung by new converts. It's reserved for those who have walked with God. They have trusted, they have surrendered, and they have been faithful. The climax highlights, I would argue, the relationship of the Lord to his people, his king to kingship, and here they give thanks. We can break the song down into two sections. The first of these is verses 1 through 3, and it's recognizing the person of our Lord. Notice what the psalmist states. Shout out praises. Uh, he's not wanting you to murmur. <laughs> the message needs to be boldly proclaimed, nor does he want you to whisper. It's not a secret. Nor does he want you to stumble over your words. Spit it out, boy, right? Let the message be clearly stated. And what is the message? The Lord praises to the Lord, worship him with joy. This is what it's called. And the, the first word of verse 2 the net Bible renders worship you may have served. They're used interchangeably in English translations. The, the verb is a call to honor the Lord. Give him his worthy due. 
That's why in Romans 12, Paul says we are to serve the Lord. It's your reasonable service. It's the same idea. You worship him. You serve him. This is expected. And notice it's done with joy. We don't need to be sucking on prune juice, right? He says, shout to the Lord, give praises, worship the Lord with joy. Joy is that gladness that comes from living in harmony with the Creator, the Redeemer, and the King. It's a natural response. We're going to launch into the Gospel of Luke starting next week. The book ends, begins with joy and it ends with joy. Remember John the Baptist in his mother's womb and Elizabeth goes and runs and sees Mary and it says that John leaps in the womb? That term is a, found in the Greek translation of Malachi. It's like a newborn calf leaping with joy in the presence of of God Almighty. And so here's this idea, and he says, worship the Lord with joy, and, and do it with joyful singing. It's an amenomapia in the Hebrew. It's, it's got this mm idea. Let it ring. Let it come forth. We worship the Lord with joy. In verse 3, he says, realize. This is strange. It's more the idea of recognize recall, understand. And there's three things he states, and this is in your notes. First of all, that our Lord is God. It's emphatic. You could render it, our Lord, He is God, right? It indicates a verdict. This is Walter Brueggemann in his commentary. He says it's a verdict that is both affirmative and polemic, excluding and denying as well as celebrating and embracing. John chapter 6, Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom should we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's why this psalm is reserved for those who know him. If you're here this morning and you don't know this one, that he is God, ah, today is the day, right? Can you stand like the two ladies, Tracy and Lori, and say, despite the difficulties, God is good? If you can't, then that means you, you've not understood what God has done, right, for us. He is the one who came and died on a cross for our sins. It was only through his payment of our sin that, that salvation is accessible. And through repentance, accepting the gift that has been given, confessing our sin and believing. Are we able to even come and say, yes, he is our God. And so the psalmist states, the Lord, he is God. The second thing he notes is that he is the creator. He is the one who sustains all things. The, this removes the notion of self uh, self-making. There, there's, there's nothing that we can do to give credit to ourselves. Psalm 19, Romans 1, talks about the, that the creation should cause us to bend our knee in great gratitude, right? Saw the sunrise coming to church this morning. Look at the beauty of what God has done. Romans 1 indicates in chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, that some of the creation that says the invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Listen to what it states. Because they are understood that he has made him, so people are without excuse. 
And then Paul writes, for although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give him what? Thanks. Thanks. And so Paul says, you look at the world around us, (laughs) and that's the problem with the unrighteous, is there's a lack of gratitude to God for all that he has done. The Puritan writer Thomas Watson said that most of the world are sepulchers to bury God's praise. (laughs) He said, you'll hear someone swear a curse, but few who will bless our Lord. Interesting statement. The Lord is the creator. He is the one that sustains, and he should cause our hearts to overflow with gratitude. Author Pink, in his book, The Attributes of God, writing on this very topic, says to deny the divine decrees would be to predict a world and all its concerns regulated by undesigned chance or blind fate. I mean, think about it, right? If this all just happened to be, what a scary place it would be, right? And Pink goes on, then what peace, what assurance, what comfort would there be for our poor hearts and minds? What refuge would there be to fly into the hour of need and trial? None at all, he says. There would be nothing better than the black darkness and abject horror of atheism. Oh, my reader, Pink writes, how thankful should we be that everything is determined by infinite wisdom and goodness. What praise and gratitude are due unto God for his divine decrees. And the psalmist says, oh, you need to rejoice. Shout it. He is our God. He is our creator. And he gives us one more. Look at the psalm. Look what he states here. He says, and, and he says, realize this God, we enter his courts, we give him praise, but he says, we are his people. It's a covenant keeper, this God. I wrote, while it is amazing that the Lord is God and that he's creator, I would argue that this is far more outstanding. That we could have a special relationship with this God who is Lord, who is creator. And notice, I love the the descriptor he says, that we are the sheep of his pasture. Literally rendered, we are the sheep of his pasturing. It's ongoing. He's caring for us. And the idea of God being a shepherd is seen throughout the Old and the New Testament. Right? I am the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And Ezekiel, God says to the religious rulers who have not shepherd, who have not cared for the sheep, he says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will do it. And so our God is not the old man who's wound a clock. (laughs) He's not something that we can carve and place on a shelf in our home. He is a relational God who invites communion with him. The former Princetonian professor and founder of Westminster Seminary, Gratian Mechen, wrote, The Christian hearts melt with him in gratitude and joy when he thinks of the divine love and condensation that has thus lifted the veil and allowed us sinful creatures to look into the very depths of the being of God. He's a covenant keeper. He's invited us in. And and how can he do that? Because he is God. Why? Because he's designed it. He is the creator. 
and he's the head over the creation. And so why do we sing? The psalmist states, he is God. He is creator, and he is our shepherd. Martin Luther, the quote that's in your notes at the bottom, he says, we cannot give God anything, for everything is already his. And all we have comes from him. We can only give him praise, thanks, and honor. And what a joy that is, right? As we come at the tail end of this Thanksgiving season, stop and pause and thank this one. Uh, this is the 400th anniversary of the pilgrims. Did you know that? You don't hear much of that in the news. <laughs> but think about Bradford and, and his, the Puritan, uh, the, the diary that he wrote. And, and he said, the, the reason I'm leaving this legacy for the next generation is so that they will see of God's hand of provision for us. He deserves to be praised. And that's the idea here, recognizing the person of our Lord. And then the psalmist moves, starting in verse 4, to recognize the character of our Lord. There are three imperatives. Enter, you see here, give thanks, right? And then he says to praise. The idea to enter, yes, there is a literal sense to this. That this was probably one of those songs that are sung as they enter the temple complex. But... It has another nuance, and that is to enter is to, to recall, to enter into your mind, to reflect. A key ingredient linked with thanksgiving throughout Scripture is memories. Nothing more than memories. Right? Oh, I won't sing. But just the idea, right? They go hand in hand. They're tied together. Why? Because we need to reflect on who God is. We need to have those stones of remembrance where we go, ah, this is what God did here and here. It's a reminder that we are dependent on him. And thus we can praise his name, his character. And notice there are three reasons to praise the Lord. Those are in your notes. The first of these is our Lord is good and worthy of praise. There's only two verdicts in this psalm. He is God and he is good. You see in, in these two strophes, in these two sections. And so in verse 5, he says, he is good. Ross, in his commentary on the Psalms, states the Bible, the word good, usually describes people or things. It, it indicates that which enhances, protects, or preserves life. To say that God is good is the fundamental way of explaining the blessings and benefits of life. Remember? What Jesus stated, there is no one good but God alone. God is the source. And that's what the psalmist is stating. Our God is good. And in this we give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 The knowledge of God's goodness should encourage us to give thanks. When? In all circumstances. In everything. Right? This is why my landlady can say, "Ah, we'll give thanks for the mice. Right? Because in all things we give thanks. Our God, why? Because He's good. He's worthy of praise. We don't know the full picture. He's God, not us. He's the creator. He knows the beginning as well as the end. He was there before it started. He'll be there before it, when it all ends. So He's caring, He's providing. And, and at the moment in which we're in, it may not be good, it may not, may not seem good. But ultimately, God is good. 
And that's why Romans 8, Paul can say all things are to work together for good. Well, don't miss the next verse. He's not saying that being diagnosed with cancer or having a mom who's been in the hospital and bound to a wheelchair, those things in and of themselves are not good, but it's that you're becoming more like Christ. That's what Paul goes on to state in Romans 8, and that is good. And our God is good, and he understands. And our God, he also states our God is loving. His faithful love, notice that he says in that verse 5, his loyal love endures. The term there, there's been monographs written on. It's a Hebrew term called chesed. It's a covenantal love. It, it's love with strings attached. <laughs> that, that's the kind of love. It's, it's complete devotion. And it's tied with a God who keeps his promises. He fulfills his plans. His love endures. That phrase rings loud and clear throughout Scripture, doesn't it? We heard it even several times this morning. You realize when the ark was brought into the Solomonic temple, it had just been built by King Solomon, they bring the ark of the covenant in. What is the line seen in Second Chronicles? His love endures. When the foundation of the temple was laid during the time of Zerubbabel, what did they declare? His love endures. And when Nehemiah dedicated the walls and they had the two Thanksgiving choirs, the Todah choirs, right, walking along the walls, one went one way, one went the other way, in Nehemiah 12, what did they declare? His love endures. His love endures because our God is a loving God. He's a covenantal God. He's a good God. And finally, our God is faithful. It says he is faithful through all generations. This is why even in times of difficulty, we can praise God. He is not forsaken. He is not unfaithful. Even when we, he may appear silent or distant, he is faithful. In this darkest hour that you might be walking, some of you shared with me today, you've, you've got a wayward child you're struggling with just life in general, or maybe it's being isolated, missing family this Thanksgiving season, don't forget, God is good. He's loving and he's faithful. Why? Because he is God. <laughs> he is the creator and he's the covenant keeper. We cannot neglect these truths. Psalm 106 says, the unrighteous forget God. And in Revelation 2, the church at, at Ephesus had lost their first love. And what did Christ say to the church? Remember where Christ has brought you. Look to who he is. Look to what he has done. Recall, remember. Our world is not an easy place to live doxologically, according to the Oxford scholar, in fact, I would argue that without God, it's impossible. But with God, we can live lives of joyful gratitude, can't we? Let me challenge you with three things this week. I know we're going into the Christmas season, but don't rob Thanksgiving. Let me give you three things. Spend some time perhaps singing a chorus or a hymn of praise to God this day. It may need to be in isolation, but that's okay. 
But just spend some time praising God for who he is, thanking him. Second, I, I challenge you, perhaps it's this week in prayer, praise God for how he specifically showed his love and faithfulness to you these last several months. It's easy to lose sight of that in a pandemic and all these crazy theories and the political scene. Spend some time reflecting on God's goodness to you specifically. And then finally, share with at least one person why you are so grateful for the Lord. They may stare at you and think you've lost your marbles. That's okay. <laughs> Tell of his wondrous deeds. Why? Because he is God. He is the creator and he is the covenant keeper. He is good. He is loving and he is faithful. Father, thank you. Thank you for this little psalm nestled in the Psalter, which reminds us to stop and reflect on who God is, who you are. Not just in your actions, for indeed they are good, but on your very character. We have so much to be thankful for, even the mice. <laughs> Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.